O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The true God, one in three, and three in one. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him.
Be gracious to me, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. For great is your steadfast love toward me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading for this, the 16th Sunday after Trinity, is from 1 Kings chapter 17. After this, the woman of, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chambers where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he, stretching himself upon the child three times, and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Ephesians chapter 3. Brothers, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
This is the word of the Lord. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. For the Lord builds up Zion. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Alleluia, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and, a, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gates of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the gospel of our Lord. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christian love to the neighbor, purity to stand before God, singleness, singleness of heart on Christ crucified. That's what we've heard from the lectionary about the three essential characteristics, the three essential qualities which a Christian must, must possess. Love, purity, singleness of heart. And very few Christians would argue with these. In our minds, we can often visualize how they should play out in our lives, maybe helping the hungry or the homeless, going to church, kneeling in repentance, maybe putting up a crucifix in our homes to keep our gaze on the cross. It's all fine. It's easy to imagine such piety. We can even feel romantic about it at times, and thoughts of it can make us feel good, full of enthusiasm, full of desire to do these things. It's easy to sit here in the pews and imagine it, but then life hits. Problems arise, pressure comes from being a spouse or parent or worker. The days get long, we get tired, and then in exhaustion after a long week, suddenly Christian love doesn't feel possible. After all, after all, why help your neighbor with his problems when you have plenty of your own? And purity, that feels like a game sometimes when you're tired. So instead of repent, we like to make excuses for why we sinned in what seems like impossible situations. 
And we really don't want to repent for the cutting comments we make when someone else was rude or for our anger because of how another wronged us. And singleness of heart, well, that sounds great, but when the winds and the waves of the storms of life hit us, it feels impossible to to not take our eyes off Christ and look at the storm instead. So love, purity, singleness of heart, all the things we talked about, they sound great until tribulations arise. And it's this type of tribulation which we also see that the people in the gospel are suffering and St. Paul in the epistle is suffering. So in the gospel, this is what we hear. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So in the gospel, here is a woman who's already lost her husband, who is at the funeral of her only son. She has no one left. She's in tribulation. And then the epistle. St. Paul tells us right at the beginning of the epistle. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. What we know is that St. Paul's tribulation is that he's in prison. He's in prison, prison for teaching the gospel, which is the same gospel that he taught to the Ephesians. So, of course, when they hear that, they're discouraged. The gospel they gather around is what made St. Paul imprisoned. They're discouraged. In our readings, these are the tribulations of the church between the gospel and the epistle. These are the tribulations. It's death, shackles and imprisonment, isolation. In prison, it's humiliation and shame. For the widow, it's despair. For both, it's physical separation from the church and from family. We see in both these stories people without leaders or protectors. The Ephesians didn't have their apostle, and the widow didn't have her husband or her grown son. And so look at these tribulations, and you may have had some of those in your own life. Could you maintain Christian love in the face of such a death? Or Christian purity and despair, isolation and shame? Could you maintain singleness of heart while you're shackled and behind bars? Could you love and be pure or be focused on Christ when you're burying your son or you see your pastor imprisoned? In those situations, in that tribulation, would the essential qualities of a Christian be on your mind? Would you rather, instead, would you be filled with anger toward heaven? The truth is, on our own, in our flesh, we can't create or maintain Christian love or be pure or look to God. The world is always unfair, it's cruel, and the devil loves to see you suffer. There are people out in the world that love to see you suffer. There are people in the world that hate those of us in the faith. It's a world that wants to see us leave the faith so that we join it. And our flesh agrees with the world. It doesn't want to love a missed death. Our flesh doesn't want to stand before God among injustice, injustice that our flesh blames God for. Our flesh wants to focus on itself, living our best life now, making us the best version of ourselves that we can, focusing on our bucket list and sacrificing everything for that instead of for God or neighbor. Because our flesh, it has no patience in tribulation. 
Our flesh always wants a quick fix. It always wants the good things now. From its, and then it looks for it from itself or idols or money or politics, ideologies. It looks for those things that promises pleasure now. It looks to those things that promise comfort, pleasure, and power, instant glory right now instead of any suffering. Our flesh doesn't want its own suffering, and it certainly doesn't want anything to do with our neighbor's tribulations because our neighbor's suffering, our flesh thinks that's its negativity that brings us down. Better to ignore the neighbor than suffer with them. That's what the flesh thinks. But that's not what St. Paul says. St. Paul in the Spirit, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So if you hear that, Paul speaks against discouragement and suffering, especially when it's suffering for the gospel. Instead, Paul speaks about glory in suffering, glory for the brother even in suffering for the brother. Why would Paul see glory for himself and for his brother in such suffering? It's because Paul sees in the Spirit what our flesh is blind to. For instance, at the beginning of the gospel story, notice at the beginning of the gospel story, what do you see? Was the first thing that we saw in the gospel story the widow mourning her late son? It wasn't. Notice that the first thing in the gospel story was we see Jesus deliberately going to the town of Nain, to the city gate, right as the dead man is being carried out through the gate in a funeral procession. The first thing we see is Christ waiting for this procession to come to him, which fits with what we prayed in the collect. We pray that the Lord's grace may always go before, may always anticipate us. That's the first thing we see in the gospel lesson. The Lord's grace, the flesh and blood of Christ, anticipating and waiting for this widow and her son in their tribulation. And then to join her in her suffering. He has compassion. He's joining her in her suffering. Our Lord being there at the gate right as the funeral's coming is no coincidence and it's not chance. He was there in tribulation before we even knew that there was suffering in the story. And before we can even really consider Christian love, purity, and focus in tribulation, before that stuff even comes to mind, there already is Christ anticipating us and our suffering to meet us, to join us. This is what St. Paul sees in prison. He had Christ waiting for him there. So St. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that is, he's praying to the Father, from whom every family, and really the word family there should be, from whom every fatherhood, every patriarchy, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory. We'll stop there for a moment. God's grace anticipates and awaits our suffering. But what does that mean for us in tribulation, in suffering? And for that answer, we look here at St. Paul. He's in shackles. He's alone. He's imprisoned. In society, he has shame heaped upon him. Yet he's dropping on his knees in prayer 
for his Christian brothers. In prayer, he demonstrates that Christian love. He, he shows that Christian purity in praying to the Father, standing before the Father, even in shackles, praying to him. He demonstrates that Christian focus in suffering. This is Paul in tribulation, in prison. And how is he able to demonstrate all these things in his suffering, which is great? But the answer lies in who Paul prays to and what he prays for. So he prays to the Father from whom all fatherhood is named. You can see around you a good father provides for and protects his children. But what Paul here is saying is that the Heavenly Father, the Heavenly Father is not a reflection of good earthly fathers. It's the opposite. Good earthly fathers are a reflection of Him. Because God is the fountain of all fatherhood. He is the one who provides all good things and all protection in, in all times, especially in times of tribulation. Paul doesn't expect himself to love or be pure or to be focused. He doesn't expect all that stuff to come from himself in tribulation or really at any time. Instead, he looks to the Father for all of it from the riches of the Father's glory. That is what Paul asked the Father from these riches, for all these things. He says that according to the riches of the Father's glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, that is your inner new man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays for the, for the Ephesians, that they may have what he has in prison. He prays that, they may, that God may give them the remedy in their tribulation, in their discouragement at seeing Paul imprisoned. Paul doesn't ask for God to remove the suffering, to magically make it disappear, to keep all suffering away for them. He doesn't ask for that. Just like in our gospel, the widow, she suffered greatly. The son did die. The widow did suffer. Suffering does happen to us. What Paul asks God to give the Ephesians, though, and to give us today in our suffering, is Christ and the Holy Spirit, so that we may be strengthened and know the love of Christ. You might be asking, well, what does this mean as we live out our lives? Well, look at the gospel. Again, I've, I've said this about Christ's miracles, and I'll say it again. Christ isn't a magician. He doesn't wave a wand and make, the, and make death disappear like a rabbit in a hat. No, instead, our Lord met the widow in her suffering. He actually suffered with her. Then he took her suffering into himself and took the son's death into himself. This is what he does in your baptism. Christ joins you in your suffering there in baptism. And in your baptism, he takes your sin, he takes your suffering, he takes your death into himself. It doesn't disappear. He takes it into himself. This is why our Lord left his throne in heaven. This is why he became a flesh and blood man. He left anticipating your suffering and death. 
When you came to the waters, he was already there waiting for you to be baptized in his name. He was waiting to receive you to suffer with you. So he could take your suffering and death into himself. And you could take him into your heart. Into all our hearts by faith. Also, he could go to the cross with all your sin and suffering and death and die for you there. And so we could be left sitting on the funeral pyre. So one day we'll be left rising from our funeral caskets full of his life. Strengthened by the Spirit, knowing his love that surpasses our knowledge. Because on the cross is where our Lord poured out his life and his blood. That is, the riches of the Father's glory are poured out onto us from the cross to create and strengthen in us the inner new man. All this is what happens in baptism, where the Spirit grounds us and roots us in the love of Christ so that as we arise to life from the waters, just like the man, young man arose to life at the funeral, so we arise from lo- to life in the waters. There Christ now dwells in our hearts in faith. In the Spirit, in tribulation, we too drop to our knees Praying with Paul. We come to the altar with all the saints. And here with all the saints, we seize with our hands, our lips, our faith, that which is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ as we eat and drink his flesh and blood to be forgiven and strengthened in all suffering. Beneath the cross at this altar, this is where we are filled with the fullness of God amidst all tribulation. Here is where St. Paul's prayer is answered for the Ephesians and for us. Paul, and us as well, Paul is able to love the neighbor. He's able to be pure before God. He's able to focus, to have singleness of heart on Christ crucified in all his tribulation Not because of himself, but because of what God gives to us in the riches of his glory, which is the life of his own Son for our sin. It's the Holy Spirit here to create us anew and strengthen us. Along with this, Paul is able to see where the love of Christ is leading him, where all this is going. Paul is able to see the end and know where all the suffering leads. We see the end in our gospel as well. The end is this in verse 13. And when the Lord saw the widow, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up, to the, came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. You see, God's grace met the widow in her suffering, was with the widow in her suffering, suffered with the widow in her suffering, and ended her suffering. Our Lord ended her suffering by telling her, do not weep, and then wiping away every tear from her eyes. Our Lord ended her suffering by telling her son, arise. To be baptized in Christ crucified, to have our singleness of heart on the cross, not only means that we are crucified with him, it also means that we will rise with him. To have our focus on Christ's crucifixion is also to have our focus on his return and our resurrection. All of God's grace, 
all the riches of His glory, the Word, the sacraments, all that we receive in tribulation, all of it is for this end, that Christ may come back as we lay dead and tell us, I say to you, arise. Like St. Paul and the widow, we suffer right now so we may arise with Him and all the saints very soon. So that in eternity we may be given back to one another just like the widow's son is given back to her. So we may comprehend with each other the breadth and length and height and depth of the grace of God. And in that speak to the glory of God together into eternity. The grace of God awaits for us in suffering. It's with us in the midst of suffering. It goes out ahead of us as we wait for His return. As the Spirit strengthens us in this, in this grace, and as Christ dwells in our hearts to suffer with us, that is how we are able to live in Christian love, in purity, in singleness of heart. We do it strengthened by Him, knowing He will return. It is not under our own strength with which we have these characteristics in suffering. We have these because they all come from God. And they rise above the suffering that is with us now. So powerful are God's riches and suffering that at the end of the gospel, notice that through all this suffering, whether it's with the crowds in the gospel or St. Paul in prison, Notice the epistle and the gospel end the same way. With these words from St. Paul, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Through all the suffering, it ends with the saints praising God, praising Christ. Because the Father grants us strength and His riches to love, be pure, to focus on Him, and then to praise Him even as we suffer. Because we know that the suffering ends with His Son saying, Arise, do not weep. And so today let us come, eat, and drink together, so we may be strengthened together with all the saints, because one day through this meal we will rise together. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
twist upon thee to deliver me when didst humble thyself to be born of a virgin and thou hadst overcome the sharpness of death thou didst open the kingdom of heaven to all believers thou sittest at the right hand of God mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we pray you that your grace may always go before and follow after us, and make us continually to be given to all good works. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. 
Most heartily, we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, Help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. 
Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.